Here comes Peter Cottontail, hopping down the bunny trail, hippity hopping Easter's on its way. Bring in every girl and boy, baskets full of Easter joy, things to make your Easter bright and gay. He's got jelly beans for Tommy, colored eggs for Sister Sue. There's an orchid for your mommy and an Easter bonnet too. Oh, here comes Peter Cottontail, hopping down the bunny trail. Hippity hoppity happy Easter day. comes Peter Cottontail, hopping down the bunny trail, hippity hopping, Easter's on its way. Try to do the things you should, maybe if you're extra good, he'll roll lots of Easter eggs your way. You wake up on Easter morning and you know that he was there. When you find those chocolate bunnies that he's hiding everywhere. Oh, here comes Peter Cottontail, hopping down the bunny trail. Hippity hoppity happy Easter day. Hippity hoppity happy Easter day. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Kudzu Radio Hour. This is Kudzu Radio Hour number 147. Yes, 147. Yeah, baby. And we thank you for your support, by the way. As always, this podcast was recorded on Saturday, April 3rd, 2021 under sunny skies in spartanburg south carolina i'll have to ask the other three guys how things are in austin texas and in whoville massachusetts <laughs> whoville that's right that's what billy says he lives is in whoville and i think quite possibly cindy lou uh, lives up there too and horton i'm pretty sure does too the kudzu radio hour is brought to you by the fine folks at Springer Mountain Farms, fresh chicken responsibly raised on family farms with no antibiotics, no hormones, no steroids, no animal byproducts ever. Oh, it's so good. And it tastes great. 
get more information or order online and have it delivered to your doorstep. Yes, you can do that. Uh, comes in a cool in a cooler uh, with you know packed with uh, cooling things. <laughs> I don't know if you call it ice packs, whatever it is, but it maintains the freshness. Put it that way, and it will be right there at your doorstep. You can order online or find out more at SpringerMountain.com. Springer MTN. So you just put the abbreviation SpringerMTN.com. Like I said, not only is it healthier, but it also tastes superior. Really good chicken. If you want chicken, you want Springer Mountain Farms. That's end of story. It's the truth. And when you order, tell Gus and Susan and everybody that Michael Buffalo sent you. Kudzu Radio Hour sent you that way. Uh, and Kudzu Magazine, because uh, both of them, uh, the magazine and the radio show, um, loves to promote Springer Mountain Farms. We also love to promote a band. Well, lots of bands, but especially our favorite band out of Los Angeles called the box masters. Um, the drummer, singer, songwriter, all around master entertainer <laughs> in the band is a, a guy named Billy Bob Thornton that you've heard of Oscar and golden globe winner. And, uh, also deserves, um, uh, a what's the tv awards an emmy yeah he deserves an emmy for that show he does called goliath where he plays kind of an alcoholic lawyer <laughs> and my favorite kind of lawyer well you know what can i say uh, anyway he is a, a great musician and songwriter and his partner in crime is jd andrew and jd's a well-respected industry uh, producer and sound engineer, multi-instrumentalist and a hell of a nice guy. So together they are the core of the Box Masters. And the new album, uh, well, it's not brand new now, but it's the latest album, it's called Light Race. And how about this? Uh, Bud Thornton and JD Andrew did the whole thing. Uh, during the COVID thing, played all the instruments, wrote all the songs, played all the instruments. And man, oh man, is it good. It's a great album. It's got songs like Satellite Guy, Breathe Easy, Light Rays, and a song called Learn to Be. In my opinion, it's the best, the best album that the band has done during their, I think maybe 14 years they've been together. The album uh, is available on CD, vinyl, and downloads. And mark your calendar because plans are for this summer. Uh, hopefully, they'll be able to tour again. And hopefully, they can do the summer tour um, in Europe that got postponed because of the COVID. I know the guys are chomping at the bit, at the bit to play live. Um, I know that for a fact. And uh, so anyway, for information on the tour, how to order the album, how to order other CDs and albums and uh, autograph merchandise and shot glasses and ashtrays and stickers. And oh my 
goodness gracious, everything in the world, Boxmasters, just go to theboxmasters.com. Theboxmasters.com. And please, oh, please follow them on social media, Facebook and Instagram. And I'll tell you right now, JD keeps the Instagram thing hopping every single day. There's several posts from the archives of great pictures uh, of the Boxmasters in concert or Billy Bob with his puppy dog or, you know, all kinds of stuff. Or when they hung out with this one and that one, you know, all kinds of um, everybody from Willie Nelson on down the line, you know, they did a tour with Willie and uh, I would have loved to have seen that. I had to be great, great stuff. But the Boxmasters, theboxmasters.com and we love them. And you, if you, you probably do already, but if you don't, you need to get turned on to it. You can find them you know, on YouTube, listen to a little bit and go, Hey, I got to order that album. It happens that way a lot these days. Um, very thankful for YouTube. I've, I've learned about a lot of bands off of there. Have you seen the current issue of Kudzu magazine more? We've got another one coming out, but it's going to be a little while. Um, we'll try to put it out four times a year, but issue number 41 Features a cover story and interview with Freddie Salem. What a nice guy. Freddie Salem, a great guitar player that played with the Outlaws. How much do we love the Outlaws? A lot. That's how much. Uh, we dig into the archives for a classic kudzu interview with Alabama songwriter Peanut Montgomery, who was the uh, songwriting uh, guy for George jones possum so he had some great stories about george jones and and um wrote some great hits great country hits i believe he wrote delta dawn too that uh uh what's her name uh tanya tucker did let <laughs> I me mean, say was it what's her name uh, i know what her name is i'm just getting older and my memory just blanks out on me you know It'll happen to you too when you get old, okay? Just kidding. <laughs> uh, there's an interview with yours truly, Michael Buffalo, conducted by writer Tony Pijar. And uh, he asked some great questions. And uh, it, was, it was nice to have the tables turned just a little bit, you know? There's articles on unreleased albums that you may have missed by... Uh, my buddy and a Southern rock authority, his own self, Craig Eason, who's over there in the U of K. That's not the U of K, it's, U, it's the UK. Uh, he's a good writer and uh, he is, man, he is immersed in Southern rock. He knows, he knows as at least as much, if not more than I do, okay, about Southern rock. So that's good. That's a good thing. Uh, we have, uh, also in that issue, lots of CD reviews, DVD reviews, book reviews, some recipes that you can whip up a regular TV, uh, column is called couch potato, new Southern accents column, new art, uh, a column from Anthony Richardson, 
uh, big A knows it all, and he does. And uh, of course, Electra, the rock and roll health chick, she's always on board there and always interested. We have a list of the many musicians that we lost in the year 2020. It was ridiculous. Oh gosh. Also in this issue, we uh, are happy to present the uh, 2020 class of the Southern Rock Hall of Fame. All this and more in Kudzu Magazine, always free. Always free, what? That's right, it's always free. At www, no, it's just three W's, www.kudzumag.com, K-U-D-Z-O-O-M-A-G, kudzumag.com. Now, I don't know where you're listening to this podcast, but I just want you to know you could uh, phone the neighbors, wake the kids, tell everybody that uh, the show is also available on many other, uh, many other platforms. Um, it's available on Apple iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Breaker, Radio Public, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. Also, we have a new video channel on YouTube called The Ambassador of Southern Rock. Please subscribe. Please go there and subscribe to the Ambassador of Southern Rock. Just plug that into the uh, search engine, Ambassador of Southern Rock, and it'll come up. We have a brand new interview there with Jason Ringenberg, a heck of a great guy. And, uh, you know, he was the leader of the band, the Cow Punk Band. I know I don't like to call it cowpunk. I don't think he likes that term either, but it was that kind of music. Jason and the Scorchers, you remember them. They were fantastic, fantastic band. He says they still get together and play from time to time. But Jason, uh, his new solo album is called Rhinestoned. And he is a some kind of a songwriter. This may be his best solo album yet. Some of the writing on there is just out standing uh outstanding uh, and it touches on all sorts of subjects that are uh that need to be talked about jason ringenberg we also recently interviewed my buddy my pal chuck lavelle the greatest keyboard player in the world <laughs> in my opinion and my opinion you know it's just my opinion a uh, former member of the Almond Brothers who stepped in after the death of Dwayne and added piano. Um, of course, they went for a little while with just Dickie on the guitar, and that was pretty doggone great. But then when they added Chuck and they did the Brothers and Sisters record, you all know, you remember Jessica, right? You remember all that piano on there? And Chuck's just fantastic. And then for a lot of years, he has worked with the Rolling Stones. It don't get any better than the Rolling Stones, right? So he tours with the Rolling Stones. He makes out the, um, I said Rolling Stone, and I, and I didn't mean the magazine. He tours with the Rolling Stones, put an S on the end, and uh, makes out the set list and plays the piano, keyboards, everything else has a lot to say. He also works in conservation and forestry. 
one of the most interesting guys I know. Also, uh, we have a video interview with the aforementioned Freddie Salem of the Outlaws and a whole bunch more. I've got some I did with my buddy uh, Rebel. Uh, his real name is Dwayne Fields out of North Kakalaki, <laughs> North Carolina. We did a few shows like the greatest Southern rock albums ever, the greatest Southern rock singers, the greatest Southern rock guitarists, best live albums, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Check it all out at the Ambassador of Southern Rock channel on YouTube. Remember, if you want to talk to us at any given juncture, send us your uh, letters, your emails, send us your poor, your tired, your weak. Oh, no, that's something else. Send us um, love letters, uh, I don't know, requests. <laughs> you know, don't send me a request saying we just, just shut up because I've heard that before. Uh, anyway, kudzumag at yahoo.com. K-U-D-Z-O-O-M-A-G, kudzumag at yahoo.com. There you go. That's it. All right. All that being said, let's play a song, shall we? I want to kick off the show with uh, one of my favorite acts ever in the history of the world, and that is Delaney and Bonnie and Friends. Delaney Bramlett, Bonnie Bramlett. Uh, I, I dearly love Bonnie. I got to, I was very lucky to get to, to interview and talk to Delaney right before he passed away. And, uh, I wish I could have met him in person. In fact, he had invited me to come out to California and visit, but, uh, before I could make any kind of plan to do that, he passed away. But one of the one of the greatest artists, and um, I, I call Delaney and Bonnie as a whole, uh, or like a conduit for bringing together of everybody from Derek and the Dominoes guys to Joe Cocker, Graham Parsons, George Harrison, Dwayne Allman. Man, golly, bum. We're gonna go back. First thing we're gonna do is play something just for fun, uh, I had this commercial that they did back in the day. I uh, did a, a, a TV radio commercial for Pepsi Cola and I thought that'd be fun to play. And then we'll play uh, Only You Know and I Know, one of their big hits. And right after that, we'll be back with uh, the rest of the gang and we're gonna talk about great music uh, resource books that we, you know, we go to anytime we want to find out something about, you know, particular thing in music, like whether it be artists or recording studios or uh, techniques, recording techniques, anything to do with music. And that was Jim's, Jim Hemphill's idea. And uh, I thought it was a great idea. So. It's going to be fun. We'll also play High Fidelity, our game, and have some recommendations and all this and much, much more. So please, 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 as James Brown would say, please stick around. And uh, right now, it's time for Delaney and Bonnie. 
Delaney and Barney. There's a whole new way of
Well, there you go, folks. Delaney and Bonnie Bramlett and friends. Only you know and I know. And right before that, just for the hell of it, a commercial from the 70s, early 70s, uh, Delaney and Bonnie's commercial for Pepsi Cola. I just think that was kind of fun, you know? So I just threw it in there. Not that I support Pepsi Cola. I don't not support Pepsi Cola, but I don't, I haven't drank a cola drink in probably 25 or 30 years and probably never will again. Uh, you know, it's beer or tea. So there you go. Please make welcome to the program. You know them, you love them. You can't live without them. These three guys are not to be confused with the three stooges, but they are wonderful cat daddies, uh, from Whoville up there in uh, Massachusetts is Billy Eli. Hello, buff. Hey man. And, uh, all the way from Austin Tejas. I like saying Tejas because I've, that makes people say, oh, gosh, he knows about ZZ Top. Anyway, it's, uh, it's uh, Patrick Beach and Jim Hemphill. What I got up, a... Miguel? Hey, y'all. Good to see everybody again. And uh, for those of you listening that can't see, just be thankful. Uh, <laughs> hey, man, before we, before we jump in, I'll just... Uh wanted to tell you i checked out that uh interview you did with uh jason ringenberg on, on your other youtube channel yeah man everybody needs to go and watch that that is, that was a great interview man. well thank and, you uh, oh you, thank you. Mean, he, you he's a he's a good he's he's a good subject to i started to say he he uh the reason the interview was great was certainly not because of me it was because of jason jason's just a um just a wonderful guy. And you guys already know this, but I'm going to say it publicly. I had asked him as I do anybody I interview, I usually ask for a signed picture because I've got a, several albums full and some of them are frame and oh Yeah. Well, he, he did something much better. He didn't cool. send a picture. He sat with a piece of parchment paper and writ, wrote out by hand the lyric, he knew my favorite song of his was broken whiskey glass. So he wrote out the words on a piece of parchment and wrote a nice thing at the end to me personally and signed it. And I thought, well, doggone, man, let's talk about going an extra mile. That's just cool. man. It's as cool as it gets. And I told him, I told him that. And, um, so now he's, uh, we've got this, he and I have a date planned. Uh, first time he comes anywhere in this area, uh, I'm invited to come and hang and all that kind of stuff. And I certainly will. I'll be there with bells on. Well, not with bells on, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what, you also covered some stuff in there and you know, I'm, a, I'm a fan of his music and been a fan of that band for 30 years, but, uh, yeah. I didn't know, I didn't know he did, uh, I didn't know he had side project doing, uh, Doing children's music. I, oh, I, Farmer I Jason. About, yeah, I had never heard about that Farmer Jason stuff. He did that for he's he did that for like 15, 18 years, where that was the only thing he was doing. And our friend Rebel told me that when his daughter was, I don't know, seven years old, he took her to see Farmer Jason. And he said he came out in a pair of overalls and played all these songs. Oh, there's one of, uh, 
I've got that book, Pat. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Rock book of Lucifer. It didn't end up on my uh, list, but it sure is a good one. I didn't think about it. That's why I'm sure you did, obviously, because there it is. Uh, all right. First thing, first things first. Uh, we'll do the uh, high fidelity game. Uh, and, uh, it's really what I got is real simple, uh, which it usually is, you know. <laughs> it's like, the uh it's a two-parter but you know all you have to do is one answer one answer one answer only and this deals with 45 you guys remember 45 rpm records nope uh, nope and nope. uh i used to i used to collect uh <clears throat> i love to collect the 45s with the picture sleeves but this has nothing to do with that this is just the, what I want you to tell me is, what do you think is the greatest rock and roll or rock 45 record that you had or that you, you don't even have to have had it. This is the greatest 45 ever, uh, Patrick. And this is, is going to be like all our other lists. If, if we make a list and then you ask the same question tomorrow, each of our lists will be different. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, it's the way it goes, yeah. It's a, you know, I always say I reserve the right to change my mind at the drop of a hat. Okay, I want to I want to go first, man, because it's a kind of a out of character forty five. I mean, give well, okay, you go, and then Pat's gonna go after you. Okay, Uncle Albert by uh, Paul McCartney, McCartney. Wings. Yeah, on the Apple label, and we're so and, sorry, uh, Uncle Albert. Yeah, and uh, what uh, what, what was the, the little vamp part hand? hands across the water or yeah yeah and and it yeah I, I listened to that damn thing man to like the needle cut the thing into multiple parts man it was that's a, I, well that's about around the same time as bound on the run and all right yeah i liked it because yeah, it had that little, it it had little, that little wind up a little bit before we had a jukebox where i used to play pool and I, it had a. I would always play three records. I played Jet by Paul McCartney, Band on the Run, yeah. and No More Mr. Nice Guy by Alice Cooper. Nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah, Jet, <laughs> and Jet was on the Band on the Run album. So that was. Yeah, that was such a. I love that. That's the best. Song. That's that's McCartney's best record, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Patrick. You're up, man. Can it be a seven inch that spins at 33, not yeah, 45? Yeah, okay, whatever, man. Sure. <laughs> okay. Yeah. In that case, Microscopic People by Neoterix. <laughs> what? Uh, hell? <laughs> yes. That would be, for those of you out in internet land, Jim's, one of Jim's college bands. They made, they made one record back in the day, and they made one back in the current day. And it was uh, a seven-inch. Oh, oh, look at that, man. Down yeah. Wait yep. a minute, y'all. You can't, those that don't have video can't see that Jim has just whipped out his seven-incher. <laughs> <laughs> wow, with a picture sleeve. What year was that? 1985. Oh, what a great year. Damn, dude. <laughs> my, my buddies down in uh, uh, Atlanta, the basics, did their only uh, 45. That, but their 45 was a 33 and a third uh ep and then there was another band i met at their gig called oh god it was all lawyers and they had a band four got four lawyers, had a band from, lawyers called jim bob and the leisure suits 
like it. I still got their picture sleeve uh, 45. It's great. I should have, I should have named that one, but I didn't. Uh, Jim, yours isn't the same one as Pat's, is it? It is not. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not beyond self-promotion, but yeah, me I'm neither. Gonna, I'm, but I'm but gonna... that record's just really not that good. <laughs> There's one song on here that's really good. Uh, anyway, yeah. uh, the- <laughs> because he wa- he wrote one of the four songs. <laughs> um, I'm just Josh, and I'm fun, and it's a it's, hey, a, it's Josh a, and- a fine record. Uh, everyone should buy it. Go on, you know, you can like buy this 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 uh, this EP, the seven inch EP from like places in England for like fifty bucks. But if you really want one, you know call me and i'll give it to you for free yeah me and you have some records like that if, too. if you have a working turntable uh or even if you don't um okay my my pick is is simple kingsman louis louis yeah oh, I, I i can i considered that one too man well that's great that's great well i'll tell you what mine is and uh mine i just decided to pick one of the I didn't want to pick the first 45s I bought because they were all the carpenters, which is nothing wrong with that. But I picked the, the one that really blew my mind was when I bought the, uh, God, what was the name of the label? It was blue and white rolling stones. Was it London satisfaction? I can't get me no satisfaction. I had that that, 45. Could that be Decca London London or Decca? Yeah. 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 And I just remember, I just listen. Um, you know, when, when I say to the kids these days, I played it on my record player. They're like, "What? What's what the, the record, hell's a record player? player? <laughs> you mean turntable?" I said, "No, a record player that you open up the lid and you play the records." That's what I did for years as a kid. So there that is. Oh, uh, part two. Oh, wow. Oh, there's uh, a part, part two. two. Yeah, there part no, two. there's gonna be a there's gonna be a part three because I'm gonna ask one after this. All right. Well, All part right. two is um your favorite country or country and western 45. So again, man, if if I if uh you ask me now, you ask me tomorrow, the uh it'll be different, but uh I'm going to go with uh drinking Birds. thing. Gary, Gary Stewart's drinking. Thing, Gary Stewart, you're a Gary Stewart fan too. Yeah. I am. A, I am a Gary Stewart fan. Yeah, I, that was I know a, you're that was a great I'm starting to know everybody's I, favorite artist. Yeah. And I played that again. Another one of those that I played to the, the grooves ran together. <laughs> I believe that was on RCA. Big yeah, or, wasn't, wasn't there 45s, a big orange label with the black outline of RCA, like across the top. Yes, for a yeah. period it was. Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay, uh, Patrick. This is a counterbalance to my previous pick because this is a twelve-inch. <laughs> this is a twelve-inch that spins at forty-five RPM. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the replacements had a B-side of "Hey, Good Looking." Oh. Oh man, I gotta, I gotta hear that. Are you talking about the Hank Williams? Oh, I yeah. think so. I think so. Oh yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, I think so. I couldn't really <laughs> tell, but it sounded sort of familiar. Uh, Jim, Jim. All right. Well, I mean, you know, I'm gonna 
I'm going to call this a country song. It's definitely a rockabilly song. I don't even know if it made the country chart, but I actually had this 45 and listened to it. And it is Hello, Mary Lou by Ricky Nelson. With, Goodbye, Mark. Uh, sure it is. Sure it is. Yeah, that is. Because it's got James Burton on guitar. And it's, yeah, and it's yeah. absolutely a country song. What a, master, yeah. what a guitar master Burton yeah. was. Yeah. So Wow, I love that guy that's playing. When he played with Elvis, I was just watching the other day. For some reason, I went back and watched that Aloha from Hawaii. Uh, when he was playing the Pink Paisley Telly, I went for a while. I had a, 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 a the reprint. You know, reprint. What do you call it? Reissue of the... Yeah pink paisley telecaster ended up trading it and i could kick my if I, if i could figure out a way to kick my own ass i would I kick but, my I, but to do that ass. i'd have to stand in a chair and you know what i don't know my favorite country uh 45 is one that my daddy god rest his soul gave me and i thought it was the coolest thing since sliced bread and it was johnny cash Folsom Prison Blues. That's a good one, mm -hmm. man. It's hard to and beat. I just that just changed my life forever, baby. Okay, all right, part, Billy, you got a part, part three. three. Yeah, well, I get I got to thinking about the forty fives, and and uh, I picked you know like everybody, I picked one that was off the label. We're all of the age that we remember uh, giveaway forty fives, man, from TV shows or you got radio stations, cereal box tops, gas oh, station yeah. fill ups. Favorite favorite record you got from you know the Gulf gasoline station or Kellogg's cereal or, or whatever. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. So yeah. all right. So uh let's uh, Beats doesn't Beats is trying to think. So let's make him go no, first. I think I got I think I got it. I think I okay. got it because I, I remember spinning uh a cutout square of sugar sugar by the archies from the, the back archies. of the cereal box yeah, yeah. from sugar yeah. from sugar pops yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah i had that record you know, I, that, that was that actually mine man <laughs> <laughs> and, and you, you know cut uh, it out of the back of the box uh, yeah sugar sugar pops are part of a healthy balanced breakfast really, yeah, really. So, <laughs> thank you thank you for that endorsement <laughs> uh, uh, know, fruit loops might be a little bit better Okay, okay, Buff, you're up. Well, thank you. Well, Archie's was mine, so I'm going to go with my second choice, <laughs> uh, which is I'm trying to think of the artist's name, and Billy will know it because <laughs> you mentioned this guy before. He passed away recently. Who did the song Whiskey River? Johnny Bush. Yeah, Bush. All right, so WASC, Top Gun 1530, WASC, and Danny Dyer, who got me started in radio, who was born blind, but I'd never seen anybody that knew his way around a radio station more in my life. Let me visit over there and everything. But before all that happened, I used to play name it and claim it and he'll play a record. And you say, you call in and say who, I mean, what the name of the record is and who will know who, who did it. So he played I won the 45 and I was like, woohoo. I'm assuming that that was one of those little for promotion only records, right? Well, yeah, it's white and white label and yeah, it had yeah. the same it's song on both sides, right. stereo and mono. I've still got it. I'm drowning in. Yeah, that's great, man. That's great. That's a good story, too. Yeah, man. that's fun, okay. man. Okay, fun, Jim. Fun, fun. Oh, easy one for me. 
Banana Splits. That yeah, was baby. that was mine. The Dry Law song. Uh, I actually they had they had two seven inch four song EPs that you could get by sending in box tops or something like that. Yeah, and, I had both of those. <laughs> and the one that I remember most was the one that had doing the banana split and I enjoy being a boy. Uh, yeah, I remember I enjoy being a boy. That was fantastic. That, that was a cool psychedelic pop kind of thing. You know, they could right. play that record now yeah. for and somebody. No, right. uh, and, and no homosexual overtones. Well, <laughs> it's it's I enjoy being a boy in love with you. So I guess no. that you could remain uh now now it would be called I enjoy identifying as a boy. As a boy, well, yeah, yeah. Or, or presenting. <laughs> so the former uh, actress formerly ellen page that could be like her theme song yeah She's mine a, was my, uh, I, I, forget, I forget her name now it's not ellen anymore something I, page elmo no not elmo that would be tickle me elmo page <laughs> i can't i don't know it's cool she what's weird is when you when you know I believe in everybody's right to, you know, do whatever they want to do, but I wish they wouldn't do it with people that I'd formerly had a crush on because that, that just screws my mind yeah, up. Yeah. And you confused enough. in the umbrella Academy, which is a great series. And she was in that. And I was like, she was in Juno before that Juno. And I always thought she was just adorable and I still do, but she's a boy now. So I just kind of feel weird. <laughs> oh yeah like that like, like you, it's like not you her just, problem it's mine and, no, and like that's, that, that's just, definitely on you and, yeah, and like you feeling weird like that just started once you get a haircut bill oh you already did never mind yeah i mean that's the only thing about being on the radio they can't see my the, the audience can't see my great new haircut <laughs> i know really but that I, i'm glad that before the show you explained to me that you know exactly the rate of growth and it'll be just perfect by the time you go out to LA. Yep. It'll be in, in yeah. Two weeks from Monday. It'll be just about right. Yeah, baby. Ooh, that must be nice. I'm excited about travel again too. I really believe, uh, that there's going to be some opportunities to do some, get back out and play some gigs and do some stuff. And I'm just so excited. I can't hardly stand it. I have to, man. I I gotta get I gotta get us some gigs on the book for this summer. Nine. Yeah, baby. Yeah. Well, you were talking about doing something, you know, where we could get Peter and them uh, together, all of us now, together. All, all you all you gotta do to get the Degmans go to go somewhere is tell them you're gonna be there. <laughs> and they, <laughs> all right. And, and, yeah. and, and they don't. And and here's the thing: they don't even care what the event is. There's like, is it a concert? Well, we can bring guitar. We were actually just going. Hang out, have some beers and barbecue sandwich. Yep, we're there. <laughs> well, I got hey, I got friended on Facebook by the third brother who I've never seen. Oh, uh, Rick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. I was like, oh man, there's Degmans everywhere. Hey, that reminds me. Uh, well, it reminds me that I wow, it's a music thing I don't remember. What was the power <laughs> pop? What was the power pop thing I? 
Patrick, I think you sent it to me. And I said, somebody needs to pass this over to Rick Degman. No, uh, Jim, Jim discovered them. Uh oh. Uh, oh, the yeah. Hawaii mud bombers. Yeah. 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 Golly, I, 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 I went and listened to that. Man, they're great. Man. I did too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought, wow, uh, that is somebody, awesome. somebody needs to tell Rick Degman. Probably he already knows about them because he might. Know, he might. Well, he's there ever a, been in. He's a power pop guy, man. They might have been in Ugly Things magazine at some point. I don't know, but everybody but, else has. I mean, but, God, I've reading that magazine. The Dugmans, Dugmans taught me about Ugly Things, and it's got just bands you've never heard of. And you go listening to them, and you're like, wow, I can't believe I never heard that. So good. And this concludes our portion of the podcast devoted thank you. strictly thank to you. the thank three Dugman brothers. That up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, that, that I just—I went and listened to that man. That was a—that was a great band. Yeah, they're fun. Oh. They're fun. They're, uh, we're, are we doing recommendations? Because well, actually... it's funny you would say that because the next part of the program is recommendations. And let and let me go first because then I got to do. Wow, my Griffey. I can't believe I, I got to do prepared. my Griffey call now that now that Griffey's you know the where he lives is off a of lockdown. We're doing our Saturday uh, afternoon. Go ahead telecalls all right i got this uh i found this accidentally uh it's on netflix and i i'll pull netflix up intending to watch something what i really like to do and i was used to do the same thing in blockbuster i'd in the days of blockbuster i'd go and i'd browse i'd look at everything i'd be in the damn video store an hour and a half and would leave without actually renting anything I, I I much prefer to browse than to, than to you know than to actually start watching something. But there's a uh, there's a series out called The Irregulars, and it's based on the uh, the Baker Street Irregulars and the uh, Arthur, uh, Arthur Conan Doyle, uh, Doyle's Sherlock Holmes characters, and uh, it is kind of cool. It's a it, it, you know I, I like all that Sherlock Holmes stuff anyway, and. Uh, this they put sort of a, a 21st century twist on it. It's got a lot of supernatural uh, aspects to it, and, and so it's kind of a cross between the show Supernatural or the Umbrella Academy and Sherlock Holmes. And I don't know any of the any of the people in the cast. I'll tell you the thing that struck me. We've had several uh, we've had several discussions on on this panel about you know, uh, the state of, of uh, uh, racial acceptance and, and inclusion and diversity and things like this on the show. And though, Pat, you were talking a few weeks ago about a book called uh, How to Be an Anti-Racist. And mm-hmm. and we we talked about that and, you know, us growing up, all of us being Caucasian males and me and Buff being from the South, uh, you know, you, you you absorb that stuff as you go along. Well, what I'm about to say, this was, uh, you know, we've all worked really hard to be anti-raced and it nothing, hardly ever does anything racial thing anymore. Like I see something and I, and and it's shocking. And I don't mean shocking in a bad way. Like I'm offended. I mean, like, it, it, normally it's not even stuff I notice anymore. You know, I mean, it, it, it's been accepted, to, but the way that they cast this, it's all mixed. I mean, there's, they make no, there's no racial lines in it at all. Dr. Watson is, is, is black. Uh, one of, uh, there's two sisters and they're not half sisters. They're full blood sisters. One of them's half Asian. And 
And it just struck me when I saw that, that whole thing of, well, Sherlock Holmes, all those characters are white. And I saw that. And I was like, whoa. It, I mean, it didn't bug me, but it jumped out at me and I noticed it, which led me to this thought. Man, that's the smartest damn thing that can be done is to just mix all of it up and get everybody used to it. And then, you know, that, and then there it is. That's just what it is. But the show is called Irregulars. And uh, if you like, you know, sci-fi, steampunk, fantasy, magic, Sherlock Holmes, it's great. Wow, pretty cool. Well, man, I like that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do, uh, I'm gonna go ahead and do mine, and then um, put you guys on autopilot for a couple of minutes. The, uh, I've actually got two. Um, I've been on a fringe bench. Um, there's a mm. uh, show that came out between 2008 and 2013 called Fringe. And uh, I've been to this series probably four times. It's extremely well written and acted. Uh, they did five seasons. Each season's stranger than the next. It's a cross between the X-Files and the Twilight Zone, I guess. The girl that plays FBI agent Olivia Dunham, is, her name is Anna Torv. And what's weird is I've never seen her in anything else besides Fringe, but she's really good. And Joshua Jackson is great as Peter Bishop. But the one that steals the show is the actor um, who plays Walter Bishop, John Noble. He was just wonderful. He's like a genius even though he can't remember where he left his milkshake, uh, his memory uh, comes and goes in spurts. And he, you know, he had, he had been in the um, uh, mental ward for years and years, had nervous breakdown. He's very eccentric and, you know, borderline nuts, <laughs> but he is also a genius at the same time excellent writing and acting on that show friends good I show just, good show good fantastic show. <laughs> show and fantastic actors and my second one that i just watched last night i went into this wondering if i was going to you know i've never been a big fan of your gigantic monster movies but godzilla versus kong on hbo max and in theaters <laughs> We watched it this week. We watched it Wednesday. Oh, did you? Yeah. I yep. thought, you know, on the big screen TV, it would have been even better at the theater, I suppose. But oh, Alexander Skarsgård, who played Brandon Flagg in the TV, the Stan TV series, is a good actor. Uh, I went in, I'm sorry, I went in kind of expecting to hate it because I'd seen recent Godzilla movie that just plain sucked. And I've seen several Kong movies that I didn't really like. I love the uh, 1976 uh, King Kong, but mostly because Jessica Lange was in it. And uh, a very, very young and beautiful Jessica Lange. And also and Jeff still, Bridges. Also and Jeff, Jeff Bridges. Bridges. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. I, but I that's totally just, forgot that's, that Lebowski was in that. That's just like your opinion, man. <laughs> Dude. Uh, the dude abides even with King Kong. Uh, the, 
but the advancements in animation and, and all that kind of stuff now really i mean it was off the charts and i tell you what it it won me over from the very first scenes when kong wakes up in the jungle and yawns real big and then he stands up and scratches his ass as he's walking off i'm like yeah i can identify with that uh so yes folks i liked a movie with a giant monkey fighting a giant lizard so you know what can you say it's pretty good uh and like i said i started out when i started it out i was like I know I'm going to hate this, <laughs> which is not a way to go into something, but I just uh, felt like I was. And also they didn't, you know, it's under two hours and that's perfect because so many movies now, I just recently watched the, uh, Snyder's, uh, Zack Snyder's reissue of the, uh, justice league over four hours. And I'm like, you know, that's just too much. <laughs> That's too many superheroes for too long. So anyway, that's uh, that's a lot of opinion right there. So, all right, one guy go, and then the other. I guess Patrick, you want to go next? I my first one will keep you busy for the rest of the month. <clears throat> oh, and good, that good. is Turner Classic Movies is doing nothing but Oscar winners or Oscar nominees all through the month of April. So uh, take a look at their schedule and you'll surely find something that's worth your time. Last night they were showing, speaking of four hour movies, Ben Hur. Yeah. And, uh, and I thought, I haven't seen that since before my voice dropped and I started shaving. <laughs> so I DVR'd it and holy crap, is that a lot of movie? That's a whole lot of movie. And, of course, the, uh, the only thing that anybody remembers is the chariot race. And I thought, well, I'll start the beginning. And then if I get bored, I'll, yeah, I'm bored. Okay, let's fast forward to the chariot race. Okay, cool, chariot race. Amazing sets, amazing set pieces, amazing design, amazing costumes, pretty good performances, too. But after this chariot race, there's still an hour and 40 minutes left of movie it just goes on forever so i knew i wasn't going to watch the whole thing before it started so instead i pulled up on amazon prime a documentary film by alex gibney who's one of the best documentary filmmakers going today it's from 2014 and i dimly remember seeing it in 2014 or maybe 2015 but my brain is so old that it was basically entirely new to me and that is mr dynamite the rise of james brown Oh, man. It's on Amazon Prime. Mr. Dynamite, The Rise of James Brown. What fun. Lots and lots of old TV performances, most notably uh, from the Tammy show in 1964, where he basically just destroyed everybody else. And he was a little bit annoyed, according to legend and according to Mick Jagger, who's in the film, that he was not quote-unquote headlining the show even though it was a show being taped for television so it didn't matter you know who went last but an incredible performer uh famously a notorious disciplinarian i mean the bands had to be in coats and ties on the bus uh great interviews with the bands and the entourage there's a 
Maceo Parker's brother was Melvin Parker, right? The drummer. Yeah. I think that's uh, right. yeah. yeah. Melvin Parker is like auditioning for a, a slot in the band. And, and he says, Hey, James, uh, my brother's a sax player. Um, could you use a sax player? And James Brown says, well, my baritone player just quit three nights ago. I could use a baritone player. Does your brother play the baritone? And Melvin says, yeah, he does. And of course, at that time, Maceo was playing mostly uh, tenor, mm-hmm. not not Barry. Um, but anyway, great interviews, great television performances. And it takes the James Brown story up to uh, the dawn of the hip hop era and Funky Drummer and Public Enemy and the, the one track that Clyde's, Clyde Stubblefield hated <laughs> that basically launched hip hop. So that is a movie I'm 99% sure I saw like seven years ago. But since it was seven years ago, it was entirely new to me. And I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Mr. Dynamite, The Rise of James Brown. Nice, nice. Remember when I worked in a video store, we had Ben Hur, and it was on two VHS cassettes because, and wow. they were, both were about as long as you could make a VHS in, yeah. in standard play yeah. back then. So it is, a, it's epic is is one way to describe it. Um, but anyway, so talking about being an old guy and and being late on things, and also this kind of dovetails a little bit with Billy's. Last night, my wife and I finished the sixth and final season of Shit's Creek. And, you know, this is not something that's under the radar at all, although it was a slow to grow series and really only started drawing an audience when it was almost finished. Um, But uh, we started watching it basically for two reasons. Our 20 year old daughter loves it. And Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara. I mean, if you've Mm -hmm. seen Best in Show or A Mighty Wind or back in the SCTV days. I thought, you know, something with those folks in it's worth watching. And to be honest, it started a little slow for us. It took us a few episodes to get into it. And then something clicked and we just thoroughly enjoyed watching it. We watched all six seasons, all 80 episodes. You know, it swept the Emmys last year. It won best comedy series, best writing, best actor, best actress, best supporting actor, best supporting actress as well as best costumes and best casting. And all of those things are great about it. Um, it it's, it's the, you know, if, you know, if you were like me and living in Iraq, under Iraq three or four months ago and didn't know much about the show other than it existed, it's about a wealthy family that loses its money and moves to a small town that it, the father bought the son as a gag many years earlier. Uh, and the only thing they have left is ownership of this town, although they never explain exactly what they own since it, since other people seem to own everything in the town. But anyway, it's a fish out of water story. And it's a story about, you know, how these crazy wealthy people reconnect with their humanity. And it would have been really easy to make it maudlin and, and say, oh, boy, these people in the small town are salt of, salt of the earth. And, you know, by the end of the show, the rich people, the formerly rich people stay there and become like the locals but they don't take that easy way out um the the rich people retain their quirks but gain their humanity and the the people who are uh, uh live in this small town called Shits creek um they're weird too and they retain right. their weirdness and i think that they that that both sides kind of learn from each other 
And it's just so well done. And one of the things that's that's noteworthy about the series is like what was Billy was talking about how, you know, in in his recommendation, race is just not even spoken of. But, right. You know, one of the one of the lead characters, Dan Levy, who is Eugene Levy's son and in real life and Eugene Levy's son on the show plays plays a, a, a gay guy and it's never and it's not oh we had to overcome homophobia it's just never even it's just accepted as a thing right and boy it's, is he is he ever convincing as a gay guy well, i mean he's he's got that down well he's he yeah he is <laughs> really oh ow so to speak yes uh but uh in any event i just uh, um, <laughs> I actually managed to make Jim stop talking. <laughs> well, not in a good way. But anyway, uh, <laughs> the, the uh, uh, you know, it's the, it's it's really a terrific show. We we enjoyed it a lot. And it, it took, I'd say, maybe halfway into the, the, the first season. But it just got so many amazing things about it. The, the, the costuming, the clothes are incredible. Catherine O'Hara's character... Moira uh, Rose plays a former soap opera actress who is just all kinds of bizarre from the way she dresses to the different wigs she wears to this really odd accent that she affects that is un unplaceable, untraceable, <laughs> unpredictable, but freaking hilarious. She is so good uh, as is all, the entire cast is great. Uh, you know, so it maybe everyone's already seen this show. I hadn't. Uh, I, I had Never. different expectations than how it turned out and we really thoroughly enjoyed it. So, uh, and it also helps, I know it's in syndication now. We found that it helped to actually watch it in order because it does definitely have distinct arcs that I think you would lose some of if you watched it out of sequence, just as it comes up on, uh, in syndication on, on TV. So, uh, I would recommend going to Netflix and watching it front to back if you if you have a chance i'm glad you mentioned that because we uh we did just like three or maybe four episodes and i don't think we quite got to the click and we gave up uh yeah. so hey, uh, me, we'll dive back in. let me break in real quick what uh somebody gotta watch what time is it it is 12 49 central time okay i'll be right back okay and yeah, it really did. It, it, you know, the first few episodes we liked, but I'm glad we stayed with it because it became something that we really enjoyed very much. And, um, and it had gotten a lot of praise from a lot of critics and a lot of actors and a lot of directors. It's one of Cameron Crowe's favorite shows. He thinks mm -hmm. the writing is, is outstanding. And, uh, you know, so, so we stuck with it and glad, glad we did because it's, it really, it really, uh, I, I think it was, it was, it was extraordinary and very entertaining. I have to well, give it I'm glad shot. to hear that because I, I'd seen that advertised a bunch, but I don't know. I just, you know, I didn't know who was in it and I didn't, I never have given it a chance yet, but with your high praise, I think I will give yeah, it a it, shot, you know, cause I mean, you, you talk about the levy and, and, uh, and the, those folks, I mean, I loved all the movies that they did and mighty wind and all that stuff. Yeah. So I mean, it's really cool. Um, and it was, it was created by Eugene and Dan Levy, father and son, Dan Levy had kind of an idea and he went to Eugene, who's of course been around for forever. He was 
the father in the American Pie movies and and said, I've got this idea for this series. It's kind of a fish out of water thing, but I want to handle it differently. And then they got Catherine O'Hara to sign on. And uh, that was just a masterstroke. She's she's terrific. The cast is really is is really great. Uh, we we enjoyed it very much. I can see how some people might might it might not click for some, but like I said, we're we're glad we stuck with it because I think we watched two or three episodes and then kind of set it aside for a while, and then exactly. came back to it. And when we came back to it, it just started to click. And this is a rare show that never jumped the shark. That's the other thing I wanted to talk about. It never got bad. They decided to end it after going into the sixth season, they decided it would be the last season and it would just got better every season. And it never got to that moment where you thought, you know, they should end this. They ended it at the right yeah. time, which is extremely rare for a series. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing how many, um, great shows just go too, too long. Uh, you know, they should have stopped a few seasons ago. Yeah. And, and of course that's where jump the shark comes from was happy days. Right. Uh, you know, and that, it got to the point where Fonzie who started out as a really cool character ended up being just a, a bumbling nut. I don't, it just wasn't the same, but anyway, well, uh, I see Billy's not here right now to give his, so we will go he ahead. Already and did his. He already did his. Oh, he did. Yeah. The irregulars. Oh, okay. Well, see, there you go. I, I don't know. I think it's that picture of him. That's kind of freaking me out. That's <laughs> what, well, it's not as bad as uh, Jim's, but it's, <laughs> that's not bad. It's just different. Uh, anyway, I'm going to play a song and, um, then we'll come back and do the, the thing. And, uh, yeah, this, uh, this song is, uh, this song is dedicated to Jim and Pat. And, uh, but I think it was written about Billy <laughs> and it's off of the first cheap trick album. It's called he's a whore. One of my favorites. <laughs> what it. a beautiful love song. Used to play that in my high school rock band. <laughs> yeah, cool. I like it. And the, um, I'm in fact, I just love that first album. That first album they did just, that just changed my life forever. Uh, that and Budokan both. But, um, anyway, enough about me. We're going to play some cheap trick. We'll be right back right after this song. And here it is.
And we're back from the first album, the first Cheap Trick album. Uh, he's a whore. Or as they say here in South Carolina, a hoe. But anyway, it's a, uh, it's a fun song. It's, they, they did some great stuff. And um, we're going to talk now uh, with the, the uh, as Billy calls us, the panel. <laughs> the panel is going to talk about now, Jim Hemphill came up with this idea, and I thought it was a really good idea. Uh, it's basically uh, music music books, re like music reference books. Oh, this was Patrick's idea. Huh? This was Patrick's idea. Oh, I thought you said, I thought it was your idea. I'm pretty sure it was Patrick's. Okay, I don't know. You guys are the same anyway. <laughs> I just, you're both the same person. Um, just one smokes and the other one doesn't. Um, the, um, well, I wanted to say, preface by saying the internet can be a great thing. You can find anything you want with a keystroke or a Siri voice command. Wikipedia is a great resource. As long as you don't assume that everything on Wikipedia is true, uh, you still need to research a topic and see what several sources say and then draw comparisons even still with the internet and the ease of using it i still utilize my uh library of books uh very often and uh, for information quotes etc and that's my uh sort of disclaimer that being said let's go ahead and start with Jim, and then uh, we'll go from Jim to Pat. All right. So rock and roll reference books. Um, Doesn't have to be rock and roll. Oh, music reference books. Right. Well, that's, that's all rock and roll to me uh, with no apologies to Billy freaking Joel because he doesn't deserve any for that terrible song. But anyway, um, uh, so... My first one is one I don't have in front of me right now, but it's the one that I that I that was so influential to me uh, back in the early '80s, and that's the second edition of the Rolling Stone Record Guide, the one with the blue cover. the The red cover one came out first, and the blue cover one came out in about '82 or so, I want to say. Um, and uh, it really, I poured over that to figure out what what records are there that I need to hear to you know have a well-rounded knowledge of the canon of of music that i had records that i had uh had not paid attention to up to that point in my life up to the age of 20 or 21 or whatever it was and they got some things horribly wrong of course i think they gave uh it was on a one to five star system and then something that was completely worthless got a bullet and my recollection is they gave bullets to like every black sabbath record which is oh in retrospect is obviously uh. absurd right but they got some stuff wrong and they got some stuff right and um they got there was great snarky stuff in there for like <laughs> for for the band sparks they uh they said each album has been docked one star for for this band being partially responsible for queen so obviously <laughs> 
<laughs> so obviously they they had their biases and you know since different people wrote review reviews you know it was a it was a ton of different people it could be self-contradictory which was part of the fun right part of the fun of the of the book was that you know one one reviewer would say you know queen is awful and another reviewer would say you know the mighty queen or whatever you know so it was it was highly influential and they've they've come out with updated editions uh since then but that one to me was the was it was still close enough to the 60s the 50s and 60s and the birth of rock and roll that it talked a lot about the pioneering uh uh artists and what was available from them at the time and that sort of thing so that's number one for me was the the blue uh rolling stone record guide now i'm gonna cheat after buff talked about how books are so much better than the internet I'm going to cheat on my next one because when it comes to Bob Christgau, I can't narrow it down to, to any one Christgau book. So I'm going to say the Christgau consumer guide online is, is these days my go-to reference. If I want to look at something, that's the first place I go. And, and most of the content of his books is, is available online. I suppose if pinned down, I'd go with his seventies record guide. Uh, if I had to be pinned down to a, a single book i would go with that um but uh and so for chris gow i'm gonna i'm gonna use his his website but if you if that's cheating then i'll say his guide to 70s records my next one is yet another record guide and it is the trouser press record guide uh the first edition is the one that I really obsessed over when it first came out because there was a record guide that not only was dedicated to some more, some, some of the more off the wall American and British stuff, but it had a bunch of records that weren't in things like Chris Gow or Rolling Stone record guide, but I actually owned and it took all that stuff seriously. And so it was, it was very cool. Uh, and I, I think the entire content of all the trouser press guides are now online on the trouser press website as well. Um, but that was a hard copy book that I, that I spent a lot of time with. They uh, are, they are digitizing every single word that was in trouser press. Yeah. The, the, all the issues of the actual magazine yeah. itself as well, yep. which is yeah. very, very cool. I'd, li I'd like to say this about your selection. When I asked you what, for what time it was, it was what, uh, you said 1248, 1249. And I got back here at uh 1258 so that's what nine minutes yes i went to the liquor store <laughs> <laughs> i was i was out of beer <laughs> well i saw beach take a big pull out of his i was like oh i'm gonna get a beer and then i remembered i drank the last one last night and i was like man i hate it but i've got to go to the liquor store so <laughs> so from your computer to the liquor store and back is nine minutes or less <laughs> walking wonder, and walking yeah and you yeah. and you know i don't walk fast <laughs> right well, yeah that's that's impressive yeah anyway sorry. that is impressive but, but i knew our audience would want to know that well i i wanted to know that <laughs> right? that's and, great that's the you know uh, the last time we played out in la yeah. Neil and I picked our hotel by proximity to a liquor store. We got right. a hotel that was literally across the street from a liquor store. Right. Yeah. Isn't <laughs> so, that great? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's something that's something you have to plan for, you know? Uh, number four on my list is a book that I intend to read cover to cover and I haven't 
been able to do that yet, but I have read selected passages, which is easy to do easier than some because it's mostly broken down by years. And that is Ed Ward's The History of Rock and Roll, Volume One, which covers 1920 to 1963. So right up to the British invasion, you know, and Ed Ward, former Austinite and, and uh, you know, one of the great rock and roll writers. Uh, Current Austinite. Oh, is, is he back? Yeah. I did not. I guess he's probably been back for a while, but um, yeah. he was gone for a long time. Yeah, he was gone for a long time. Uh, but anyway, uh, Ed's a great writer and, and I don't know how long he, Patrick might know how far into the present he plans to go with his, with his history. I've got the second volume and I haven't started it. Yeah. Um, I just have the first volume and, and like I said, I've, I've read passages when I come across something that's happened at some point in rock and roll history, you know, I'll, I'll open up his book and say, okay, 1955, let me read about this. What, what was going on in 1955, but I have not read it front to back yet, but it's, I found it a, an interesting uh, resource and Ed's a great writer. So, and then my last one is <coughs> something that's, it's, it's a book that was put together in a hurry and is, not a great book, but I found hugely entertaining and it's called Rolling Stones alt rock arama and I got it for three ninety eight somewhere uh, at some bookstore and it's a collection of writings and lists and stuff about alt rock starting for, you know any kind of alternative rock you could think of starting you know in the with the velvets and running through the eighties and nineties. And um, it's very irreverent and it's funny. And it, re it reminds me a lot of something I think that might be on Patrick's list. And that's Rolling Stone's book of rock lists, which I got the very first uh, edition of way back in the early eighties and actually reviewed for the college newspaper when it first came out. And it's kind of like a book of rock lists for, for alternative rock, whatever you, however you want to, um, envision that from, like I said, from the Velvets and the Stooges through the Dolls, through the Ramones, through Nirvana. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's funny. It has all kinds of uh, cool stuff in it. It's got pieces. It's got Robin Hitchcock wrote a piece on it. It's got a chapter called Philosophical Musings and Idle Chit Chat, which is kind of like essays. And then, you know, uh, it's got a uh, a musician who I've never heard of before named Chris Randall's top 10 reasons for being a musician. Uh, Paul Leary's do's and don'ts for recording the butthole surfers. Um, What's the name of this book? It's called alt rock Arama. What? Well, okay. The, uh, the guy, the top do, uh, the reasons for being a musician. What's number one and what's number 10. All right. Let me see. Number one, the easy hours. Yeah. Okay. Number ten. <laughs> the money. <laughs> you know, I got. I got to tell you, I don't even. <laughs> hey, Joe, can you hand me a piece of paper and a pen? I got to write this down. I don't even know of this book. So the two of Paul Leary's do's and don'ts, two of his do's for recording the butthole surfers, allow dogs to do their jobs, and, <laughs> right. and play like you are on glue. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, I, and i'm gonna and, I, and i'm gonna tell you and this is weird what you know we're we're you're reading that and we're like yeah what the hell 
But come on, man. We've said goofy shit that would sound just as weird. In the moment, it makes sense. Man. Yeah. I am ordering this book as soon as we're done. It, I got to have it, this. I'm ordering as soon as we're done. Here's Kevin Salem's do and don't list. All right. Don't challenge Jay Mascus to a pot smoking contest. <laughs> do know the difference between Patty Smith and Patty Smythe. Right. Right. So, you know, stuff like that. Uh, Captain, a, Captain Beefheart's number one thing is listen to the birds. I've, mm, I've always mm, listened to the birds. I have so, all know, their albums. Anyway, uh, you know, it's just stuff like that. It's got, it's just, it's funny and irreverent. And I don't know, I'm kind of pushing the envelope when I call it a reference book, but I had yeah, to get a plug in for it, it because I've spent a lot of time reading and rereading this and it's well, just, it's really cool. I'm reminded of when I was, you know, uh, offering some creative advice to Michael McGeary when he was uh, doing one of the drum parts. <laughs> what do you think? And I just took, man, just be the bear. <laughs> you just got to be the bear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, one, more rolling, time, rolling, one more rolling, time. What's the title of this? Yeah, Rolling Stone, it. Rolling Stones, Alt Rock Arama. I've Sub- never heard of that. Subtitled An Outrageous Compendium of Facts, Fiction, Trivia, and Critiques on Alternative Rock. Wow. Sounds like fun. So oh, cool. it's a cool it's a cool little book. It's funny. It's it's a great uh, it's a great bathroom book. I am I am chastened and humiliated that I've never heard about this, but it's gonna be here in a couple of days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I saw you just left your desk. You just went and ordered it. <laughs> I'm gonna order that too. So Jim is just selling books like hotcakes. Yeah, no kidding, man. He ought to make it, he ought to get a deal made with the publisher. Yeah, yeah I've still got true. I've still got I've still got the sticker, special value sticker from wherever I bought it, borders or wherever. I got it for three ninety eight. Original list price fourteen ninety five. So if you got it from Borders, they've been what? Hell, they've been out of business twenty damn years. Oh, yeah, this record, this book is uh, it's from the nineties. Uh, let's see if I can find a copyright date. Nineteen ninety six. Wow. So post Nirvana, um, but uh, but pre Millennium. Wow. So, yeah. that, that's 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 mine i got that's my five all right patrick's up next well of course i gotta i gotta do a little bit of sloppy seconds of course the rolling stone record guide and i should preface this my preamble for this was i did nothing on the internet i just went and perused my stacks but of course the chris gow record rec, the chris gow record guide online is exhausting exhaustive and definitive. <clears throat> Likewise, the the resurrected digital trouser press. <clears throat> but I love both editions of the trouser press record guide. And like Jim, I discovered so many bands through that magazine and through that record guide when when I missed uh, the coverage in the magazine. So I still have and go back to both of them. I am partial to the third edition of the Rolling Stone record guide which came out in the early 2000s and has the red and the white and the black cover, I believe. Um, and the, the cool thing about all of these books that claim to be definitive of the time is 
over time, they come to be like little time capsules, you know, where like Jim was talking about uh, Sparks and, and Black Sabbath, you, you read what was written back then and you think, what were these people thinking? You know, this is great. Or alternately, this is garbage. <clears throat> so that's two, both trouser presses. And sure, why not? All three Rolling Stone guides. And uh, I've talked about this one before, but Rocks Off by J- Bill Janovitz from Buffalo Tom. Rocks Off, 50 tracks that tell the story of the Rolling Stones. In, in addition to being quite a talented musician and speaking of dinosaur jr the leader of a band that was often derisively referred to as buffalo or as as dinosaur Dinosaur jr 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 Jr. um he's a very good writer and a very very good writer yeah very very careful listener and if you get rocks off it will send you scurrying back to your collection to hear things that he heard that you never did, even if you've heard Satisfaction, for instance, 5,000 times. Like, just, and it's song by song. And sometimes the songs are like not obvious, not popular, sometimes indefensible. But I just turn to <sighs> Street Fighting Man, top of page 141. And he, this, is, this is also incredibly sourced in the back. He did a lot of research for this book. On Street Fighting Man, Charlie played a 1930s practice drum kit, which came in a little suitcase. Quote, Keith would be sitting on a cushion playing a guitar, and the tiny kit was a way of getting close to him, Charlie explained. The drums were really loud compared to the acoustic guitar, and the pitch of them would go right through the sound. You'd always have a great backbeat. Broke up a lot. When incorporated into the master track, it sounded gargantuan. The band tracked live over this basic track, which sits to one side in the stereo mix. Brian played a sitar, and Dave Mason of Traffic brought a big bass drum that he pounded. Mason also wailed on a shihani, a Moroccan reed instrument that comes in around 231, a two-note variation that takes us out of the song. Brian apparently also played tambora, a Turkish drone instrument similar to a lute. There are multiple acoustic guitar tracks in varying tunings and capo positions. That's just two paragraphs, two pretty dense paragraphs about one song. My son got me this for Christmas a few years ago, and I go back to it almost constantly. There's one on It's Only Rock and Roll, But I Like It, Coming Down Again, Happy, Let It Loose, Tumbling Dice, Rocks Off, Wild Horses, Brown Sugar, Gimme Shelter, Honky Tonk Women, Street Fighting Men, Jumpin' Jack Flash, Let's Spend the Night Together. I just love this book. And uh, one that I've hung on to for a long time since it came out around 2004, or at least the most recent edition, is the Texas State Historical Association's Handbook of Texas Music. Like you fellow nerds, I grew up, you know, reading the encyclopedia in elementary school when I had a little bit of downtime. And this is the encyclopedia of Texas music in all its breadth and depth. As I've uh, said before, this is a huge state and it's been a crossroads for a lot of musical styles and cross-pollination and co-mingling for many hundreds of years, which is why we have room for the Butthole Surfers and Janis Joplin and T-Bone Walker 
and Steve Ray and, 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 and even yeah. and even you know <clears throat> slick Nashville stuff like the Larry Gatlin and the Gatlin brothers. Yeah, you know absolutely. Mean? You know absolutely. I, that, that's always been what. If anything about the state of Texas and the music scene impressed me, it was just how many damn niches there were that, Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it just, if you can't find it somewhere in that cross section, it probably doesn't exist anymore. Right. And there's also room for the Ghetto Boys and DJ Screw and Selena and Beyonce. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Beyonce is from Houston. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, uh, uh, being a product of the THCA and it's uh, or yeah the Texas Historical Commission Association whatever and it's editorial board it's pretty dry it's dry but it's definitive up to the time it came out which was about 2004 say the name again Pat I didn't catch that. it's simply called the handbook of Texas music okay and what and what year did you say it was, it was both let me see. The version I have was 2003. Okay. Yeah. All right. So uh, that's one that I go back to a lot. And uh, and at long last, I guess I kind of blew my wad at the uh, at the beginning, maybe before we were on the air. But there it is. The new book of rock lists yep. by Dave March and James Bernard. That is Perfect. such a fun book. Perfect bathroom reading, uh, very, <laughs> very hearted. Uh, I just turned to this page at random and I'm looking at rock's most ill fated tour. You guys want to guess what it was? Skinner, Skinner. <laughs> Street Survivors tour by Skinner, gotta be, man. <laughs> oh, or are the well, buddy Holly tour? It's it's, or, it's, it's it's the winter dance, winter dance party. party, it's the winter yeah. dance party, yeah, yeah. Is uh, is uh, is the Street Survivors tour on that list, or uh, are the uh, Twelve Days in America the uh, Sex Pistols tour? Nope. Wow. All right, let's let's uh, let's spin the wheel and see what else we have. Songs every <laughs> songs every eighties band had to know. Yeah. Bar band top, bar band top ten, bad to the bone. George Thorogood, yep. Old time rock and roll, yeah. Cadillac, jump. I want a new drug. Eight six seven five three zero nine. On the dark side by John Cafferty. Oh, the Brown Band. Brown band. <laughs> yeah. Rock this town. Lonely old night by Mel and Camp. Stand by me by Benny King. Okay. They should have had a list for. They should have had a bar band list for for the South. Because well, up, up every, about ba- every place I played had to have give me three steps. Yeah, yeah. And, Sweet and Home time, Alabama. And Old Time Rock and Roll. Yeah. Old Time Rock and Roll. And uh, they also like to hear, they like to dance to Mustang Sally. And um, mm-hmm. and God, they would come up to the drummer and say, play Wipeout. And he'd right. say, it'll be a $20 tip. And they're like, okay, here. <laughs> yep. Hey, Haiti playing that shit. God almighty. Most profound song lyrics, sorta. Surfing Bird. Oh, God. Tootie. What a great record that is. Tootie Fruity. Oh, God. So good. What, do what, Run what? Run. Get a job. Do, 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 da, 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 da. Smells like teen spirit. The bird's the word. Rubber biscuit. Word up. 
Papa Oom Mau Mau in a Gata de Vida. <laughs> Papa Mau Mau. <laughs> it's just an enormous amount of fun. The new book of Rock List by Dave Marsh and James Man, Bernard. And the, and the- They've been putting that damn thing out for what forty years. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah like I said, yeah. I reviewed the first the first edition of that. I reviewed from college newspaper and back in about eighty one. Yeah. I had I had the copy that came out like in eighty four, and yeah, and I like just that goofy stuff, uh, hit rock and roll songs that were based on nursery rhymes or uh, uh, childhood, and uh, you know, like White Rabbit and uh, and Liar Liar. It's <laughs> based uh, and yeah, just. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, uh, I didn't make a list, but if I was going to make a list, that would have been. I guess, uh, Patrick, which one is that? Is that the 81 or the 83 edition? That's the same one I've got. Hey, do, do y'all remember the uh, no, it's Encyclopedia a of Rock and Roll, which was like Wikipedia before there was an internet? Yeah, this, is to, this is to answer your question. This is 1994. Oh, wow. Wow. Same cover. Uh, uh yeah well um uh, is that your last one yeah uh actually it's not tom oh, Dowd got more, more no i, I, more. I don't have more no, i just i just want to i just want to talk about this book a little more yeah let's do that because i didn't make a list <laughs> tom, tom Dowd explains how to know a great record not, yeah tom nothing sounds like you thought it did a sign that you're getting older Digital is here to stay. People adjusted to going from kerosene lamps to gas lamps and now halogens. Your ears adjust quickly. It's your listening habit that's slow to change. If it was originally recorded in mono, nothing can make it true stereo. Do not not try to equate taste to technology. If the drum part sounds the same throughout the entire album, just imagine how long it took to train the drummer to play that way. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a good one. If your old cassette copy of the album sounds like the new CD version, something's wrong. With the volume up all the way and your speakers on the floor, if your neighbors don't complain, then you need to add some bass. Remember, there's only one side to a CD, so don't expect to be awakened at the halfway mark. <laughs> yeah, that's true. When all the vocals and solos sound the same, it may be the only keyboard changes they can play in. <laughs> and number one, even if you can make an old 45 record fit in your CD drawer, it won't sound very good. <laughs> yeah, that's true. One of the greatest there. experiences of my life was interviewing tom dowd and getting to know him to the point where he would call like once a week just to shoot the bull and everything but he was like uh he was a his big thing that he got on in the interview and he he would get up on a high horse about something talk for 15 minutes it was all about the youth of today which was of course 1994 or, or whenever uh, how they were destroying their hearing by playing the music too loud, especially in their cars. And he's like, uh, they don't realize they're going to lose their damn hearing and, and then what they going to do. And I'm like, I don't know, Tom, you know, he's like, but he had lots of little witty things he said. So, yeah. Uh, well, what are you you drinking beach? Carbock rodeo clown. 
it's a risk of, it's a risk of uh talking about something different than beer uh i'm gonna <laughs> do my list <laughs> okay sorry okay yeah that's uh i'll, I'll come mean, back to the beer later <laughs> i mean you know beer's better but anyway my yeah. five um let's, let's have your list man. we've already talked about it both jim and pat but uh Number five is the Rolling Stone record guide, uh, the third edition with a red cover. Uh, there's there's some in there that I disagree with, but there's a large percentage that hits the nail squarely on the head. Uh, and like Jim had alluded to, there's so many different authors that uh, they have a lot of conflicting thoughts, but that doesn't matter. I mean, that's half the fun in uh, I just love reading those old reviews and, you know, a lot of the, uh, stuff, you know, there's so many different, uh, cats, you know, different reviewing persons. Uh, anyway, number five, number four hasn't been mentioned. It's a, uh, a book called muscle souls, the hit capitals, heyday and beyond by, uh, CS Fuqua. And uh, I had to look up on the internet. It's one of those names that you've you've seen in print, but you've never heard it pronounced. And I didn't want to get on here and say that it was C.S. Fuqua. So it's Fuqua. Uh, so Muscle Shoals from, uh, talks about from Dexter Johnson's Garage Studio to Tune Records to Fame, Muscle Shoals Sound. Aretha Franklin, Rolling Stones, uh, a complete history of uh, the hit capital of music. Um, dirty. And uh, what? Oh, okay. And um, it's it's raining, and uh, the English Golden is very very dirty. <laughs> okay. <laughs> She's a puppy. <laughs> the the uh, yeah, it's actually um, an expanded version of a book from 1991 called the uh, music fell on Alabama here and uh, they expanded it and turned it into muscle shows to hit capital heyday chronicling the cooperation of black and white producers and artists during one of the most volatile times in us race relations uh, cooperation that produced many of the most celebrated and enduring songs of all time. You can tell I didn't write that. I'm just, you know, copied that straight away from the, it's a good description though. So I was like, okay, that's my number four. My number three is a book by Keith and Kent Zimmerman called Sing My Way Home, Voices of the New American Roots Rock, a fantastic fantastic book on backbeat 2004 uh it was given to all the all of us attendees at the 2004 americana music conference in nashville at, in our goodie bags and i was like oh an actual goodie in the goodie bag you like at this. uh an outstanding facts-filled book uh you know chapter one is called the gilded palace of graham so it talks a lot about Parsons and the burritos and all that. And then it goes into a chapter on Delaney and Bonnie. They got one on Joe Eli, the National uh, Rat Pack, Newberry, yeah, Hartford. I'm glad somebody finally pronounced his last name wrong. His, 
His last name's pronounced Ely. <laughs> Joe. I get I get that all the time. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. I get Billy Ely. Are you related to Joe? No, I'm not related to anybody that could help me out in any way whatsoever. No, no, no. well, yeah, except your mom. Yeah, yeah, but right. The the Nashville Rat Pack, uh, Newberry, Hartford, Tom T. Hall, and Roger Miller, chapters on Steve Earle, Christopherson, Ryan Adams, and there's one on a chapter on Bernie Taupin, an Englishman, of course. But it's like they said, they had, they present the argument that, uh, that Bernie and Elton's, uh, three albums, Tumbleweed Connection, Honky, Honky Chateau and Mad Men Across the Water were basically roots rock and they kind of were also in there. You got Ryan Adams, Chip Taylor, Nico Case, the Flatlanders, Rodney Crowell, who I dearly love and, uh, Williams. Wait, what what did Chip write? Did, didn't he write Wild Thing? Yeah. Yeah, Chip yeah. Taylor. Yeah. yeah. It was a great he wrote, songwriter. He wrote, he wrote almost every song that there ever was. Yeah, he before, wrote every song before, there ever was. before 1970. Man. Yeah, he was great. I got to meet him up in uh, Nash Vegas. Didn't he write uh, Angel of the Morning too? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yep. <sighs> great, great writer. And this book uh, really goes into great details. There's Zoe again, uh, waving at everybody. And I she's filthy. She's, she's filthy. Earlier, you had <laughs> Zoe, and you were playing with one of those. Uh, what do you call that bone that's made out of thread? I guess a thread bone or something. <laughs> one of those pull toys. Well, that's true that's, cre- yeah. that's creative stuff right there. You got a bone made out of thread. Oh, it's like a thread bone. Yeah. Yeah. All I you know is that you it can't made coach me it, that kind of creativity. It almost brought tears to my eyes because it, my uh my two dogs Jack Russell's that we had when I was married, that was Taz's favorite thing to play with. And he would do tug of war and you know it was what it was a uh, Jack Russell, not a Parson Russell, but a Jack Russell barrel chested and he- strong as an ox. So, I mean, it was took some work when we were playing tug of war. That's some gun like pull my arm out of the socket, but that was his favorite toy. And I think about I saw that and it made me think about him. But I digress. My uh, number two is southbound. The Illustrated History of Southern Rock by Scott Bomar, a large format full full of rare full-color photos from the whole spectrum of Southern Rock, not just your big five. It has Grider Switch and Wet Willie and Hydra and Winters Brothers, etc. And Scott did a fantastic job because, I mean, he's got, you know, real detailed history in that book and um i just dearly love it and scott's a great guy and a, and a good writer too so that helps for all you southern rockers out there if we have any left that are listening <laughs> that haven't been run off by our discussion of other kinds of music if you have well too bad you missed out baby and you know the thing about to do is I, and this is why would anybody be a purist about Southern rock? The great thing about it was it was a bastardized form of music anyway, man. I mean, it, 
Well, there you go. That's going to earn all my, make all my fans Like all the stuff that we like, punk and alt country and, and, and country rock and all that stuff. I mean, it was a, it was a mushup of of blues, country folk and gospel, man. I mean, you know. Well, and then some of it, even the Allman Brothers were even jazz. How in the hell can you be a purist about something that was Heinz 57 at best? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you know, yeah, yeah, that I, that, just, that doesn't make any goddamn sense at all. And man, and I'm used to dealing with you fuckers, man. All right, <laughs> no, you're exactly that's... right. Yeah, it's easier when he goes on a tirade just to say you're exactly right and move <laughs> on. Number one goes back years to uh, uh, my first copy was actually 1983. It's the Rolling Stone Encyclopedia of Rock. There's no point in you reading my list. Everything that was on it has already been mentioned (laughs) most of it twice. It's been updated many times. uh, And the latest I have is the uh, 2001 version. Uh, The uh, (laughs) new Rolling Stone. Wait a minute. What what am I doing here? I always Uh, think of that as the precursor to... uh, wikipedia man that was like wikipedia hard copy i mean if it an was exi- a band that had a record you could it was in there probably an encyclopedia is like an encyclopedia of course alphabetical and virtually every rock and roller uh, who achieved any degree of fame is in there uh, even one hit wonders loads and loads of facts on each artist uh i still consult that book to this very freaking day so yeah, we used to call it the bible we kept a copy of that fucking yeah thing. i did too i did too and i and i had you know the yellow post-it notes i would have them stuck on oh, yeah. like the page where kiss was and the page where almond brothers was and all kate I bush gotta, i gotta uh, inter- i gotta interject something about uh the bible and uh the chris gow uh print record guides i had a roommate for a while who kept a copy of Chris Gow's 70s guide on his nightstand and every night he'd be getting ready to go to bed he's like all right i'm going to bed and reading some scripture right. <laughs> yeah. we, kept a, we kept a copy the book you're talking about buffett uh the rolling stone rock and roll encyclopedia we kept a copy of it at our rehearsal space <laughs> yeah yeah in, ca- in case there w- an argument broke out about, you know. i had a i had a couple of honorable mentions i know uh, I, I can't believe that I did honorable mentions, but I just, one of them that I've got to mention that we talk about every freaking week, you guys turn me on to the, uh, if I want to read anything about punk rock, I go to the please kill me book, the, uh, legs McNeil. And, uh, I just love that so much that I'll probably end up reading it again before the end of the year. Again, yeah, I told you, I'm of, not even into punk rock, and I like that book. Yeah, it's like some, one of the reviewers said that you don't even have to like punk well, rock. It's, it, just, it, it's a good history book, man. It really is. And, you know, it's like, uh, I mean, I don't, I'm not in love with every band they talked about, but God, I loved reading about, you know, the Stooges and Patty Smith and um, not Patty Smythe, but Patty Smith. Right. And the, anyway my other uh my other honorable mention that i've just got to mention and it's not necessarily reference but just because i would feel guilty if i didn't it's a tie 
two books by Lester Banks, Psychotic Reactions and Carburetor Dung and Mainline's Blood Feasts and Bad Tastes. Two wonderful collections of Lester Banks writings and that man. You got, yeah, and y'all and everybody on this panel, excepting myself, because I'm the only one that's not not now nor has ever been a professional journalist. Yeah, anything he wrote is kind of like the Bible to you guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, know, I mean, you know, and it was funny watching the Cream documentary, and there were people in there saying, yeah, this some woman, one of the women was saying, yeah, it's just an asshole. He didn't know he's he, you know, he, he really, he just wrote whatever he was feeling. And I guess it's depending on how much, uh, how many drugs or alcohol or cough syrup he had in his system as That's to what he thought about the album, you know? So I mean, anybody that said that raw power was a great album is a, uh, or metal machine music. Oh my God. Oh. Anyway, I'm sorry. So I didn't make a list, but I have a question, and this is everybody's invited to participate, but this is specifically really for Patrick and Jim because they really are kind of, you know, like punks. No, it's not a punk rock question, <laughs> but it's that weird, obscure. If you've read a whole bunch of books that nobody's ever fucking heard of, then you probably know this kind of stuff. Best album or, or it could be a 45 best record that made that made a real impact. Uh, you know, like like made some kind of national or international or even regional ripple recorded at a no-name studio, you know, not a not a established studio. And what I'm the what I'm thinking about is uh like those first three uh ZZ top albums that were recorded at Robin Hood Bryant's place up in Longview. Uh nobody had ever heard of him. You know, and, and them guys knew him, and, and they cut those. And, you know, those records went on to have a huge impact. I mean, not just on ZZ Top, but on Texas music and kind of that old power trio, southern rock, blues rock thing. So, uh, and everybody can answer, but because uh, you probably have one too, Buff. But I, I figured I figured uh, Patrick and Jim for sure would have, uh, being from the Midwest, there would be something like that, you know, uh, like – I don't know where the replacements did, did they record some funky little studio nobody had ever heard of? Yes, they did. <clears throat> was that yes. was that first record made at Blackberry Way? The first record was made at Blackberry Way, and I'm in trouble. And if only you were lonely, were made at Blackberry Way. Yeah, okay. Blackberry what? Blackberry Way in Minneapolis is where <laughs> the replacements did their early stuff. Anybody know anything about it? I meant the studio. It was in a house. Okay. And uh, I've been there because my friend Mark Flora recorded there much later. And Jim, you certainly remember this. The Flamingos recorded there too, and so did yep. the suburbs. Yep. Well, I told I told you sort of what I meant about an album like that. Uh, the reason I got to thinking about this, I'm I'm recording some singles, and the uh, the producer I'm working with, Ed Tree, he used to uh, he used to produce a lot of sessions out of uh, Mad Dog in L.A. And Jim, I know. Well, and Patrick, probably you too. Y'all probably know that. Lucinda did a couple of albums that was recorded there right, early in her career, right. and uh, you know, and there were some there were some studios like that in Austin as well. But uh, okay, Jim, you got one. Well, I would say, uh, speaking of Austin, uh, the uh, hang on just a second. Um, I've got to think. I'm 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 having a. a 
senior moment. Senior senior moment. The uh, studio. Well, I'm trying to remember that it's. Uh, Where was it located? Give me a give me a second. Um, Uncle Tupelo Anodyne, uh, Cedar Creek. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, I, that's right. You know what? I forgot they recorded that album there. Yeah, yeah, and that was uh, that was out in the hill country somewhere, right? Under Fredericksburg. Uh, I thought it was further south than that. It, it, it might have been. I know it was. I know it was one of the. Uh, the way that they did things made it real easy for road bands to come in and record. Now I never did it cause I lived in Austin, but like they had cabins and shit there and a the band could just move in for the duration of the recording. Uh, but yeah, I, I did know that, uh, Anodyne was recording. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to, you know, to me, Anodyne, I've said this before, Anodyne is like the, you know, the landmark alt country album. Yeah. <laughs> they, that's, that's a, tra that's a transition. Period. They, yeah. they, they definitely, uh, did it right on that record. It's down. It's down. Uh, it's kind of like I'm looking at a map. So I know. So if you think of Manchac on the kind of on the West and South first on the East and Stasny on the South, it's in that little area right there. See, I thought, yeah, see, I thought it was further out of town than that. Which, no, huh? Well, and let me just say, at the time that they recorded Anodyne, that was out of town. Yeah, it's, true. It's, it's not now, but yeah. Uh, okay, uh, uh, you got one, Buff? Yeah, actually, uh, I have two. The first okay. one is one of the most, God, iconic and important artists that i've ever heard of in my life and he recorded a record in austin texas a lot of good called the austin that. sessions <laughs> yeah. and, uh, i knew that was coming I, 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 I didn't but yeah no that and i tell you what i worked in that studio a lot yeah yeah what, I, what, I, what I've worked, I've in green garage is that what it is it's the green, yeah, garage. It's the green garage yeah yeah, what a great studio. The great thing about the studio is uh, the library of books. And, uh, yeah. I thought you really were going to cool. say the beer fridge. Yeah, well, that's, well, that he, too. that's, that's because too. he didn't think it through. I didn't well, think and, it through. <clears throat> let's, let's, yeah. give up a little, let's give up a little love for the Billy Perkins Cheap Trick Bulldog poster. Yeah, right, yeah right, that's exactly right. right. And, and my favorite of his two posters, and he had to uh, hold steady. And I love mm -hmm. them posters. Had no goddamn idea. Who that man was. Well, yeah, the uh, you, it's, it's got the hydration one where yeah. what, it's the clock. Half of it's coffee, the other half is beer. That's right. Now for my real answer, uh, yeah. there was a studio in Moore, South Carolina, which is part of Spartanburg, and uh, it was uh, nestled in a former schoolhouse. Okay. from the 1800s and it was also haunted i mean to tell you haunted. you, gotta, if you, you don't, gotta like that if you don't believe me you can ask the guys especially randall calvert from silver travis because he ran out of there like lightning one night after he saw a boom mic stand start spinning just spinning in a circle it scared the crap out of him he took off running 
I'm so glad you told that story. I can't wait to see him. Yeah, you got to tell him about that. It's called Creative Arts, and it was co-owned by three members uh, of Marshall Tucker, Doug Gray, George McCorkle, and Jerry Eubanks. So Marshall Tucker Band recorded three or four albums with, you know, after Tommy died, but it was Toy as all them guys. And they recorded Tucker Ives and Greetings from South Carolina mm-hmm. and a couple others um, that uh, in Creative Arts Studio. And then they took the masters and sent them up to New York and ruined them. I've got the uh, Tucker Ives was a uh, album of cover tunes, including Mr. President, Randy Newman and um, a bunch of great songs. And they Tuckerized them, right? And it was, um, it was. I've got the tape here somewhere still of the t- of the recording from Creative Arts before they sent it to New York. Dolly Parton's producer in New York put all this mojo on it, added horn sections and right. all kinds of production crap, and just ruined the hell out of the album. Cause it sounded great on the, on the cassette. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, man. I, uh, another, this studio, me and Jim both worked in, uh, parrot tracks. George mm-hmm. Combs place. I mean, man, they, uh, remember all those damn Don Walsner? Yeah. You know, they recorded all them there, man. They did. Uh, and Austin, uh, you know, Austin was the scene I was in and where I lived. They, man, there were some great ones around Austin that, you know, little funky independent you know, recording studios. I, I don't know how many of them are still around. Digital is largely shut that well, down. Well, you guys find that this, you, you probably agree with me on this, I would think, but it's not necessarily the studio as much as your producer uh, because, you know, you saw how what a state of disarray everything was at Paul Hornsby's studio. Yeah, but that's I, not any different than most of the studios I've ever been in. I, like I mean, I've been in studio like Capricorn and things like that. It's just as pristine. Uh, I mean, everything is just. Yeah, with those places are big enough, they have somebody, they have interns and shit to come here and clean it up. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's it's a, a studio looks different when it's in its empty state than when it's in its active state. Right. Yeah. And yeah. you can a studio, you know, a big time studio is going to have just like Billy said, is going to have interns. It's going to have people that keep it clean between sessions. But when you got a session <laughs> going on, there's likely to be miles and miles of cable running everywhere and all kinds of stuff laying and, all over. And two the trash and cans full of. Let's not forget that that's how Jimmy Iovine got his start sweeping the floor in some studio. Oh, yeah. Then, you start oh, sweeping oh. floors and then you get up to tape op, which doesn't really exist anymore. And right. you climb the ladder. But yeah, I was in uh, one a long time ago, back in the 90s, I was in a studio in LA where Hole was recording. Uh, and cause we, we tried to, we needed a boom box and I said, there's a boom box in there. And I started walking toward the boom box and they said, stop, that's Courtney's boom box. You can't touch that. That's Courtney's boom box. And <laughs> Don't I said, touch her box. And I'm like, Don't oh, touch oh, box. and they said, yeah, holes recording in there. And it was, it was a, it was a big name studio and it was just a, the, the room was a wreck, which yeah. might've had something to do with Courtney love as well, but still. almost certainly. 
Hey, have we picked a topic for next week? Yeah. What is it? Uh, well, uh, or have you told, say, have you told us yet? No, I'm getting ready to tell you, right? Okay. Wait, well, that, no, cause Patrick got to pick this week. I want to pick next week. I hadn't got to do one in like three weeks, man. Uh, well, okay. Well, uh, favorite here. I it put is, a whole man. hell of a lot of work into this. Already. Well, and we'll, and we'll do, and we'll do it the week after that. Uh, <laughs> here, here's mine. Uh, <sighs> bet, best Favorite producer, uh, top five producers, top five albums that they did. Doesn't have to necessarily be their breakthrough masterpiece. Uh, well, is that two lists or one? It, it's it's one. The producer, the your five producers in their, you know, definitive the whatever their definitive work is. You know, because I got well, two I, albums. Who who mentioned Jimmy Evening just now? Was that you, Patrick? Yeah. Yeah. See, and I mean, you know, everybody knows him because all those early petty things. And then all of us also know him and probably really Buffalo does being a Maria McKee fan for the work he did with Lone Justice, man. You know, so, uh, yeah. And it, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Keystone, Keystone producers and their, in their, you know, sort of demonstrative definitive albums. Well, that okay, we'll do that. And uh, I'm gonna backtrack for a second though, because I had one more thing I wanted to say. We okay. were talking about studios. Yep. Um, the uh, the thing that I found interesting uh, is uh, like I say, Paul Hornsby studio. I love that place, God. It was like a garage. It's like a garage. <laughs> but on the other hand, the other great producer from Capricorn was Johnny Sandlin. So when I went to Johnny and and down in Decatur, um, uh, Alabama, to his uh, his studio is called Duck Tape, uh, D U C K Duck Tape, right? Because they called him the Duck, right? For, for some reason. Well, actually, I know what it was, but I'm not even gonna say. The uh, <laughs> anyway, he produced so many great, you know, Almond Brothers and all this kind of stuff. It, but in his studio, he was still recording Greg and people like that in that studio. And er, what got me was, you know, I was so used to, even at creative arts and all, you know, you had your producer behind a glass, right? And you had isolation booths and all this kind of stuff. Not Johnny. Johnny had uh, one room and there was a desk with his mixing thing on it. And he's right in the middle with, all the musicians around him all in the same the only thing he isolated was uh, the drums and then there was like an old beat up sofa and there's you know people laying around stoned and uh, <laughs> I was like you know but yet he would get these sounds like I, I just couldn't believe how great a sound that he would do and that's what made me made the comment that you know, maybe the producer's not everything, but to me, it's a huge part of it. Well, it is. They know how to, and so just like, uh, well, and George Cohn at Parrot Tracks and Wayne Gatherite at Music Lane and Jim at Green Garage, man. They know how, uh, they know, they, they, they're kind of in the same vibe as their room and their space, and they, and they know how to use that space. I'll tell you what else, man. Al Gill is great at that, man. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that space he has. Because 
it would be real easy for uh what's that east uh east austin audio arts in the yep. name of his place uh yep. and, and and i recorded there uh a couple times my own stuff and i produced other bands that, that we did the, we did their tracks there uh and it would be you look at that old church and you think oh man there's no way to that this could sound bad yes it could but he not he's man he's got that room dialed in man mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. uh you know and that makes and that makes a real difference and I'm really looking forward to working with Ed Tree at the Treehouse in San Gabriel in a couple of weeks uh I have been in that studio I've never recorded anything. Cool. And, he, and, and he's got a, uh, it's like your place, Jim. It's, it's more of a project room. It's like, you know, it's more of a right. digital suite than it is, you know, was ISO rooms and shit like that. But the mm-hmm. mics are good and the room is tuned and the software is great. And yeah. And I'm looking, I'm really looking forward to it. I'll give a report after, uh, after we, I get it done, which that reminds me, that'll be, uh, Three weeks from today, I will not be on. I won't be on the show. So, because uh, mark that on my calendar. Yeah, <laughs> so, so I, I may, forget. I may, I may try to call you. Oh yeah, <laughs> we could do the eyewitness weather part. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Les Nessman on the scene. Yeah, yeah, in Altadena. I'm gonna look out the door and tell y'all what I see. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, guys, I guess I think we may have broken our own record. I believe we're right at two hours on this one hour podcast. I think that that's perfect, man. Yeah. Every, yeah. I mean, we used to say that all, I used to say that all the time, you know, uh, the only one hour podcast that lasts two hours. Um, I, I always say this about, and I've been saying this since I've been working with Jim Hemphill, man, We've had gigs early in us working together. You scare the hell out of me. It'd be 10 minutes to curtain and, and he isn't there. And uh, I learned that he never misses gigs. So I don't worry about it anymore. But if uh, we're on something that has multiple bands and a stage manager will be like, where's your guitar player? I don't know, man. It's He'll be here about five till. Yeah. It's like 10 till now. Where is he? Is it five till yet? And so, well, you know what? I, look, man, he's on a thing called Hemphill Standard Time. All right. <laughs> you just, and he's like, is that 15 minutes late? I said, sometimes. You know? No, I'd no, never, he's never late. He's never, never late to a gig. Rehearsal is a different story. Well, no, and that's what I told him. He, yeah, he'll, he'll be here on time. He'll be here when he said he'd be here. Do you ever hear a phrase and you just immediately think that would make a good song? Well, you said one while ago, Billy. Oh, good. Hemp Hill Standard Time just has a ring to it. Yeah, but I stole that. So. <laughs> oh, did you? <laughs> uh, yeah, almost certainly. I didn't think of that. I mean, I don't know where I stole it from, but certainly somebody else has said that or something like it before. Well, something like it, yeah, but. But uh, uh, anyway, Jim, Jim has actually been late to rehearsals that were at his place. <laughs> True. <laughs> True. Uh, that well, is true. Anyway, well, uh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it. And, and uh, yeah, next, it is. Next it. week, it's producers in their in their uh, definitive album, their definitive work. And, and stay tuned for the week after that when we're going to talk about great keyboard players. Oh, like Chuck okay. Lavelle, because yeah. he's only well, gonna he's be probably on, one. He's only going to be on everybody's list. Yeah. 
and and uh yeah yeah john lord yeah there's a bunch of good ones uh, there's a bunch of good ones hey uh all right well that's it we're gonna go out with uh i hadn't played the box masters in a while and they are a sponsor and they are our friends so we're gonna play the song breathe easy from the latest album light rose but before we do that i want you all to say bye be good boys see y'all later man see y'all next week everybody bye, have, a good, have a good hey. weekend man bye oh well uh, by the way i meant to say happy easter everybody oh yeah that's right zombie <laughs> weekend it's an yeah. all zombie weekend at the very beginning of the program you guys don't know it but the very beginning of the program before i even came on talking i played gene altry singing uh uh here comes peter cottontail <laughs> Excellent. That's a good one, man. Just for fun, because I love me some Gene Autry and Roy Rogers. The serendipity is just weird. See, man, while we've been doing the show, I've been texting with a friend of mine in uh, L.A. that just said, hey, man, the Autry Museum is open again. You want me to give us tickets for one of the days when you're off here in L.A.? We go see uh, the whatever exhibit they have showing, because Gene Autry has a Western Museum in Oh yeah. In LA. And I said, yeah, absolutely get tickets. So and well, Hornsby uh, would be jealous. He or Paul Hornsby is a, if they'll let me take some pictures, I'll take some and send to him. Paul's a huge fan of Altry and Roy Rogers. And well, who's not, I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. trust somebody that that's not yeah, I don't either. Those guys. <laughs> All right. Well, here we go with the box masters and we'll talk to y'all later. See y'all next week.
Well, all right. That was the one and only Box Masters in a song called Breathe Easy. I breathe easy. Love that song from the, uh, the latest album, Light Rays. Light Rays. And it's, uh, yeah, it's also the, um, the latest, I think I may have already said that, the latest album from the Box Masters. So uh, really good stuff. Well, I want to thank uh, the guys that do the show with me. Patrick Beach, Jim Hemphill, and Billy Eli. We want to thank each of you who, who listen to the Kudzu Radio Hour. I'd like to ask you to do me a favor. Please um, share the link to the program and uh, tell your friends, phone the neighbors, wake the kids, put the dog out. And I don't even know what that means. Put the dog out. <laughs> who let the dogs out? Mm-mm. Yep, show your age, Michael. That's okay. The program, as always, uh, was brought to you in living color or technicolor. Depends on how you want to, you know, what what era you want to talk about. Brought to you by the fine folks at Springer Mountain Farms. Fresh chicken, fresh chicken, responsibly raised on family farms. Man, good stuff, good chicken. Not, not just good, great chicken. So you can get it. I get mine. Uh, I buy mine at the in, in the uh, frozen uh, meat section in the blue package, the boneless, skinless chicken breast. And uh, those bad boys are so good grilled. It's not even funny. They have so much taste, uh, more than your average chicken. Okay. You can order online or find out more at springermountain.com, springermtn.com. Please, please, please tell the folks at Springer Mountain Farm you heard about it on, um, I said farm, it's Springer Mountain Farms with a S. Tell them you heard about it on the Kudzu Radio Hour or saw the ad in Kudzu Magazine or both. And that would be really cool. Very cool of you, you know what I'm saying? Program also brought to you by the Box Masters, that outstanding band that you just heard playing a song there at the uh, toward the end of the program. Uh, the Box Masters, that entire album, Light Rays, is killer, fantastic. And you can order it on vinyl, CD, or download, or any way you want it. That's the way you get it from the Box Masters, man. And uh, I highly recommend that you uh, check out their website at theboxmasters.com. Uh, there you can find out about, you know, when touring resumes, which I believe it's going to do this summer. Fingers crossed. And uh, also you can order uh, the new album, uh, vinyl, uh, CDs, downloads, and so much more. They've got all sorts of swag available at theboxmasters.com. And follow the Box Masters on Facebook. And if you want to follow them on Instagram, it's uh, the Box Masters official is the handle, as they say, for um, for that. And uh, JD Andrew updates that uh, that photo feed every day with really cool classic photos of Billy Bob and and him and. Uh, other box masters and you know 
lots of times posing with people that they've um, met along the way or our friends like Willie Nelson and people like that. So it's very cool. The Box Smashers, they rock. All right, well, that's going to wrap it up for the program today and uh, hope that you all uh, in, enjoyed at least some part of it. Hopefully you enjoyed the whole thing and uh, hope you'll uh, listen in next week too. Same bat time, same bat channel for the Kudzu Radio Hour. Adios.